Welcome to the Investing Experts Podcast by Seeking Alpha. I am your host, Nathaniel E. Baker, Senior Editor here at Seeking Alpha. I am joined today by Ian Bazek of Ian's Insider Corner. Ian, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. Thank you. Thanks for the invite. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you on. I'm really looking forward to our talk because I know you have a, a background also working at a hedge fund. So what I'd like to do to start off is to for you to maybe take us back and, and tell us what got you interested in investing in the first place, and then kind of just walk us through your career real quick to, to where you find yourself today. Yeah, so I actually got my start through Seeking Alpha. I published my first article in 2008, uh, just as a college student doing some research in my spare time. I graduated with a degree in economics in 2010, and I kept writing for Seeking Alpha. And actually, a hedge fund found my work through Seeking Alpha and said, hey, do you want to do a kind of internship with us? And that turned into a full-time position. Uh, and so I worked at Kearsdale Capital, a New York hedge fund, for three years. Um, primarily uh, activist funds. We would look at companies, often uh, companies that we uh, felt had problems and uh, issue short reports about them uh, to kind of make the market more aware of, of places where we thought there were issues. So I did that through 2014 and then kind of set off on my own, learned Spanish, moved to South America and have been here ever since write my newsletter, uh, which covers opportunities both here in Latin America and also in the U.S. Oh, that's wild. Where in South America are you? I know. Yeah, I'm in Colombia today. And previously, we lived in Mexico and Argentina as well. So, so you know a little bit of everything. Primarily focus on, I'd say, high moat companies, companies that I think have durable advantages. I used to be more interested in kind of the deep value stuff. But over time, I found that that didn't really, wasn't a good strategy for me. I understand how it works for other people. But for me, I like companies that are uh, stable, consistent, that if you can grow earnings, high single digits, low double digits every year, that's the sort of company that I'm going to be most interested in. Oh, that's interesting. So the moat for you is more important than the valuation and the fundamentals and what multiple I might be trading at. Yeah. I mean, ideally, the longer you own a company and you get the benefits of its high return on equity, return on invested capital every year, uh, the starting valuation will matter less and less over time, as long as earnings keep growing, uh, kind of as you models. Obviously, I don't want to overpay for stocks, um, but I would rather buy a high quality company at, say, 23 times earnings rather than some cyclical company with a bad balance sheet just because it's 18 times earnings. I'd rather pay up a little bit for the more dependable business. But I'd say the big attraction this year is the uh, election in Argentina, which will be later this month. That's that's going to have big ramifications for its stocks. Do you own any Argentine stocks? Uh, I own a couple. Um, I own the airport company there. That's a big position. And then I just bought a basket of pretty much everything, uh, very small positions of everything that was listed in Argentina. Uh, kind of when their economy collapsed on the thought that there would be an election eventually and that these things would revalue sooner or later. I have a brokerage account in Colombia to buy stocks here in pesos. But aside from that, I buy the ADRs. So what else can you tell us about um, where you're seeing opportunities right now or some of the businesses that, that might have your interest? Probably the place I've been spending the most time recently is just looking at all these companies that have been uh, kind of devalued due to rising interest rates. There seems to be just a general mentality that any uh, bond proxy, for lack of a better word, like any company that people buy for their dividend yield has uh, dropped in value because people say, oh, I can get 5% of my T-bills. Why am I going to why am I going to buy a dividend stock that only pays 3% or 4%? 
Uh, but I think there's been pretty uh, people are just selling everything indiscriminately. Uh, like in the food stocks, for example, food and beverage, uh, we have big sell-offs everywhere, and some of that's related to the weight loss drugs. But you'll see a company like McCormick, which pretty much doesn't sell calories. Uh, they sell black pepper and vanilla and, and cinnamon. Uh, the, their stock is down as much as like PepsiCo or uh uh these companies that sell junk food and it's like this doesn't really make much sense so there just seems to be people are just kind of selling everything uh without paying too much attention i think there's opportunity for people to buy the higher quality companies that are getting thrown out with the bathwater is there anything specific that you like there uh, you mentioned mccormick Any, anything else quite a few of the staples i like mccormick i like cormel which is protein focused um specifically as it relates to the weight loss drugs doctors are telling their patients eat more protein uh, to avoid muscle loss with these drugs. And so I think Cormel's uh, protein, basically their whole portfolio is focused on protein. And so I don't see that as a loser um, from from the weight loss drugs. And yet, I think that's the single most beaten up food stock. This is its largest drawdown in the past 40 years. <laughs> and so I think I think that's an opportunity. People are making much to do over, over some fairly minor problems in my view. I think the alcohol stocks are interesting as well. I don't think maybe maybe you see a drop in beer sales from from the weight loss drugs, but I don't think it really affects spirits because that's more uh, less frequently consumed, higher price points. Uh, people are going for the experience, and so I think Diageo Brown forming here at multi year lows very interesting as well. Budweiser or Anheuser Busch, I should say. Yeah, I don't have a strong opinion. I I don't own it. Not short it. Uh, Obviously, their marketing uh, missteps early this year really hit them. I don't think we've ever seen such a big drop in share for for a consumer products company like that. Um, I do own some Wilson Coors, which is probably going to benefit from taking share. Um, it's quite cheap, but it's, it has some challenges. But uh, I don't know, it seems like adoption of craft beer is slowing down, perhaps with inflation and the economy slowing a bit people don't want to pay 14 dollars for a six pack of craft beer maybe maybe we see some some shift back to mass market in any any case they're taking sales from anheuser-busch for the time being so yeah i like most English. is there anything i mean you mentioned the argentina um potentially um what about anywhere else in in, in the region yeah, so I think Mexico is kind of the biggest long-term story, um, thanks to the pandemic and kind of the changes in supply chains. I don't think companies are comfortable uh, having as much of their manufacturing in China and Vietnam very far away. And so Mexico, with its great rail road access uh, to North America, the new free trade deal that they passed a few years ago, um, I think you're going to see an explosion in activity in mexico and now you've seen big companies like tesla tesla just announced a five billion dollar plant for for mexico and so i think you see people like when people like musk put capital like that into a country i think it gives the green light to a lot of other people like hey we need to take a fresh look at mexico maybe we can optimize our, our supply chains there so yeah i really like mexican industrial companies and also anything that benefits from consumer because you have uh, a lot of people that used to work at the minimum wage and others getting these manufacturing jobs that pay four or five times as much as they used to earn. So that flows through to all sorts of spend. So I own stock in Walmart Mexico, which is just what it sounds like. Um, and Walmart US retains 70% of the ownership with the other 30% being listed. And so that, that gives me a lot of confidence that the company is well managed and uh, 
I think the market opportunities very broad. They're, they're a larger portion of GDP in Mexico than Walmart US is in the US. And their e-commerce business has been much more successful in Mexico because they uh, they kind of launched at the same time as Amazon in Mexico rather than starting from way behind. OTC, but it's uh, there's a lot of volume because it's like a 60, 70 billion dollar market cap, if I remember. Yeah, that's uh, not nothing. Yeah. All right. Walmart, Mexico. That's interesting. And you've also historically liked some of the, the airports there. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a bit of a sell off in one, but are you still constructive on that space? Yeah, I'm still upbeat. They're very attractive in that you earn very high profit margins. Anytime a plane lands at your airport, you get, uh, depending on the airport, like $14, $15. Plus you get uh, retail, car rentals, hotels, uh, advertising. There's so many different kind of revenue tills there. And you effectively have local monopolies. Because once you build an airport, no one's going to build another airport next to the the first one. Uh, Like you mentioned, there was a sell-off. Uh, a couple of weeks ago because the government um the full details are out but the government uh wants to lower tariffs reported uh, the fees about five to eight percent which would um, kind of reverse in 2020 the airports got higher tariffs to compensate them for covid but now it appears that since that has ended the government wants the rates to go back down uh, but this was poorly communicated with the market and so the the stocks plunged and you saw the headlines about socialism and how you can't trust <laughs> you can't trust South American markets and all. But I think now that cooler heads have prevailed, they say, oh, well, they kind of did earn more during COVID and it's kind of fair to return to 2019 profit levels. But yeah, I think there's a large opportunity in those names now because they're at their lowest valuations aside from March 2020 of the past decade. You get starting 4 or 5% dividend yields and should be double-digit uh, earnings growth going forward. Right. What, what was the company there? It's Grupo Aero. Uh, was it uh, Aeroporto del Norte? Yeah, there's Del Norte is Monterrey, and then Pacifico is Guadalajara and Tijuana, and then Sudeste is Cancun. And they all sold, yeah, they all sold off if you look at the charts, right? Yeah. Um, but but you think you think that was overblown and maybe presenting a, a uh, an entry opportunity? Yeah, I would say the government's, uh, what what we know publicly that's been reported, I would say that lowered my fair value estimates 10 to 15%. But obviously, the, the stocks dropped quite a bit more than that. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't sound like some kind of government takeover type of thing. It sounds just like a, a policy that was to to change anyway due to due to extraneous circumstances, right? I mean, Emlo has has meddled in the private sector. Sometimes he seized some tracks from a railroad using government domain, claimed it was a government uh, entity. Uh, he's been involved in several other actions like that. But so far, anytime um, he's made a move like that, he's compensated the investors in total. And uh, for their losses, like I believe the railroad was actually uh, kind of they were given an eight year contract extension for their other rails uh, in return for having uh, a small pit, a small piece of their uh, rail taken. But I believe the stock actually went up after that. Um, like they, he meddled in the Mexico City airport, but they, they paid off the bondholders in full. I see them as just negotiating and kind of being acting with a heavy hand sometimes. But so far, he's treated everyone fairly. And when he's talked about the airports, he said that, that he will honor the contracts that are there, um, that they'll negotiate but honor the contracts. Yeah, I, I see them as a pro-business government that sometimes communicates poorly, but not 
the people comparing what's going on in Mexico to Chavez or anything like that are totally F-based. Now, coming back to Argentina, maybe to close out on this, what can you tell us what's going on, like what the stakes are for this election exactly and, and uh, how likely it is that you get a pro-business pro type of thing? Because there's been a lot of these false dawns before in Argentina and hopes and stuff. And um, But is might this time be different? Yeah, so I'd say Argentina is always a trade, never an investment in the sense that uh, you can't just buy a stock and sit on it for the next 10 or 20 years there uh, without thinking about it. Uh, but yeah, so you had you had a conservative government in Argentina from 2015 to 2019 that did poorly, and so they were voted out. And then kind of the new guys took over and immediately got hit with COVID. And they just kind of ran the printing presses to pay everyone during the pandemic. And so you had the Argentine peso devalue dramatically and the inflation rates at 120% now. So full on hyperinflation. And so obviously uh, voters are very upset about this. Um, the current president is not running for re-election. His party is running, but it doesn't look like they're going to win. And so either... There's two opposition candidates. It's not like the U.S. where you just have Republicans and Democrats. There you have multiple parties. And it appears that either a center-right candidate will win or a guy, Malai, who's a libertarian, like far-right, uh, who wants to get rid of the peso, kind of switch to dollars, uh, radically cut government spending. Uh, and he is up in the polls. Somewhat difficult to forecast because you, if no one gets more than 40% of the vote in the first round, then there will be a runoff between the top two candidates. And so we don't know if the runoff will be between the Libertarian and the Conservative, in which case a pro-market's outcome is guaranteed, or it will be between the Libertarian and the Socialist government, in which case there would still be substantial uncertainty. If the Libertarian wins, that would be hugely beneficial to markets and particularly of interest he was the chief economist at the airport company uh, ticker caap corporation america airports he was their chief economist uh, back when he worked in the private sector so it would be very interesting to have him as president probably be very pro-infrastructure would be the guess and he wants to is he the guy that wants to abolish the central bank um that's correct yeah so burn it down as his quote yes and so just have dollars as as your local currency or a dollar pegged fully dollar pegged that's right and argentina did that for about 10 years in the 1990s and it was very successful for about eight years and then kind of in 2000 kind of all of the latin american economies ran into trouble and brazil defaulted and that made argentina uncompetitive kind of because they both grow crops and cows and everything and so in brazil defaulted that kind of forced argentina off the dollar peg as well a lot of people said the economy did its best in kind of recent argentine history in the 90s under the dollar peg and so worth giving it another shot it would remove inflation that's for sure um so yeah desperate times i guess well that's really interesting so yeah i was just gonna say we have uh, both panama and el salvador have uh, pegged and ecuador actually as well the three latin american countries that have pegged to the dollar and uh, obviously economists debate but the general consensus has been for countries that struggle to create their own credibility kind of with uh, governments that that aren't good at messaging or aren't good at, at limiting their spending that the dollar has been an improvement versus having their own currency right right yeah like i remember i mean these largely for tiny countries yep you know i can remember going to cambodia and you've put your you get at least when I was there, you put your ATM card machine and you get U.S. dollars out. Um, but that's, you know, Argentina is not a tiny country. 
Um, yeah, I mean, they even won a World Cup final. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, not to talk too much about that. But anyway, the, yeah, no, that's very interesting stuff. When is the election? Um, the first round is in October and then later this month. And then presumably uh, there will be a runoff unless somehow the Libertarian uh, wins in the first round, which seems unlikely. And so the runoff would be in December. Very interesting. Okay, so we have that to look forward to. Probably will, I would think, maybe create some opportunities to buy some stuff in Argentina, potentially. All right, in closing, uh, maybe, Ian, tell us how, you, how we can find out more about you. I'll link to that in the show notes as well for people who want to follow you and, and maybe subscribe to your service. And maybe tell us a little more about what the service does, actually. Yeah, so go ahead. Yeah, so I've had my service on Seeking Alpha since 2016, so seven years running now. The main feature, there's a weekly digest where I cover... Um, cover kind of the news of the week, updates on existing positions, and then probably two or three new ideas, like full-length full deep dives uh, per month on new companies that I'm investing in. Uh, there's two uh, portfolios that I run where I just share what I'm owning. One's a long-term and one's kind of a more uh, trading account. Uh, there's an active chat room. There's a lot of very smart people there, quite a few people that work at at hedge funds or at banks and so there's a lot of good information kind of in the chat room uh, and so that's the main service and then obviously i write a lot on on the free side of seeking up as well so i think i've published more than a thousand articles now there's plenty of free stuff to check out too very cool yeah we'll definitely link to that very interesting ian thank you so much for joining us here today yeah thanks for the invite this has been fun yeah it's been good fun thank you all for listening to the investing experts podcast Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice of any sort. At times, myself or the guests may own positions in the securities mentioned. You can follow Ian's Insider Corner and Investing Experts on Seeking Alpha, where you will also find full transcripts for all episodes. And to take full advantage of Seeking Alpha, become a premium subscriber. Learn more at seekingalpha.com slash subscriptions. Check it out. And we will see you back here again next time. Looking forward to it. 